make your way to Children's Church. What a joy it's been to worship this morning, amen? I know that you are for me. I know that you have come now, even if to write upon my heart, to remind me of who you are. I don't know who God is to you, but I serve and I love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I serve and I love the God who parted an entire sea and let his people walk across on dry land. I serve a God who countless times, even though they didn't deserve it, showed up in an instant and saved an entire people. I serve the God of fire and of thunder. I serve the God shown in Revelation chapter 4 as one who sits on a throne that can't even be looked at. I serve the God that Isaiah sat before and said, Woe is me, for I am unclean. I serve that God. I don't know about you. But I serve the God who also sent His Son because He saw a dying world. Sent His only Son into it. To love and serve. Came to save, not to condemn. I serve that God. I serve the God who came and in a fleshly body, called out a man from the grave. I serve that God. And I serve the God who died on a cross for this wrecked, evil, selfish soul of mine. I serve that God. Amen. Is that not good to know? The God who comes down and He speaks to us is that God. That He's not some God that we have to call far off to. That He's not some God that we have to work for in order to get His approval or pleasure. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Alpha and the Omega. He's that God. I think for a long time we've forgotten who that God is. And that's what's prompted this message today. And, and as much as I enjoy preaching, I didn't want to come about preaching this way. And, and uh, I hope you've been praying for Brian and, and, and what's going on with him. But I'm excited to share the word this morning because I think it's something that we need to hear, especially the way that our society and our culture is right now. I've titled this message, The Church of Old. Not the new church, not the progressive church, not the church of now, but the church of old. And if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. Now, I'm kind of a little bit of a church history nerd, alright? So I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there. I like to read a lot about the past movements of the church I like to read a lot about um, what used to go on in the church, how we've changed it, uh, how we've progressed through, what, what's been done to change, what's been done to stay the same. And I love, I love, I love that kind of stuff. And so for the first few minutes, you're going to get some of that love out of this, all right? But I want to talk to you guys today about something that we often pray for. But we never actually comprehend what it would mean. And that's revival. 
We pray that God would revive our churches. We pray that God would start another great awakening. But we don't quite understand what that means. And for many, it looks very different. So I want to go back and I want to look at a few of the great awakenings, if we can. So bear with me. If you're going to nod off, go ahead and nod off now, okay? And uh, don't worry, I'll wake you up here in a minute, all right? All right, the first great awakening. One of the men that God began this first great awakening with was the godly Jonathan Edwards out of Northampton, Massachusetts. Edwards desired to have the people in his congregation become more devoted to a God in serious considerations of the fear of God and the judgments of God. He sought to see the apathy and the lukewarmness purged from his people, so he began to pray and fast for the entire week, and the Lord gave him the message during that time that we call sinners in the hands of an angry God. The next Sunday, when Edwards delivered this message, it shook the entire congregation in as much so that people clung to the pillars of the church and cried out mercy, for they felt as though they were sinking into the pits of judgment and hell out of every word he spoke. Oh, that we would have that in a church again. Amen. At the same time, the apostolic preacher Whitefield was in America preaching and gathering crowds of tens of thousands to hear the preaching of the new birth with very much force and very much excitement. Through the masses of penitent sinners seeking the face of God, there was visible change with great results from their coming in contact with God. Edwards shared it like this. This town, this community has not seen such a thing where they are free from the vices that control them. They have truly met with God. Oh, for times such as this, when sins such as sodomy, drunkenness, abortion, adultery, fornication are things once again shunned and forsaken by the majority of society. That first great awakening brought a social and cultural change. Guys, if we're living in a time that needs a social and cultural change, I believe it is now. You can watch all that you want to about politics. You can read every newspaper and see what is happening in the world and know that we need change. The world will not change itself. It can't. We must be agents to that. The second great awakening in American history was of similar breadth and manifestation at the first. The second great awakening exerted a lasting impact on American society more than any other revival. While its fervor was abated, it left a legacy of many established churches and social reform. The second great awakening was ignited by the preaching of James McGreedy, a Presbyterian in the area of Logan County, Kentucky, a community that Peter Cartwright deemed Rogue's Harbor. The preaching of McGreedy and others touched a nerve, however, and at a camp meeting at Red River, the ground was covered by the slain, as it said. Their screams for mercy pierced the heavens, and the most notorious profane swearers and Sabbath breakers pricked to the heart. I would just like to be in a society of just profane swearers and Sabbath breakers, if I'm being honest. Because we can deal with that. Our society is going down a road where we're getting into immorality that is hard to deal with. Would you not agree? All right. 
Let's move on a little bit to the, uh, the third great awakening, okay? This is one of my favorites, all right? Started with a 40-year-old businessman named Jeremiah Lanfear, who began work as an urban missionary for the North Dutch Reformed Church in July of 1857. Later that same year, the New York stock market crashed, and the prayer meetings overflowed with people who desired to seek God. Sounds like similar times, amen? Within six months, 10,000 people were gathering daily for prayer in numerous places throughout New York. Key figures such as Henry Beecher were preaching to crowds over 3,000 people, and that was commonplace. The historian J. Edwin Orr wrote this, The influence of the awakening was felt everywhere in the nation. It first captured great cities, but it also spread through every town and village and country hamlet. It swamped schools and colleges. It affected all classes without respect of condition. It seemed to many that the fruits of Pentecost had been repeated a thousandfold. The number of conversions reported soon reached the total of 50,000 weekly. Other major cities also developed prayer meetings. It was accounted of the revival that the form of worship was testimony or exhortation. They might pray or they might lead in singing as one often felt led. Although pastors such as Beecher often attended and lent their enthusiastic support, lay people provided the leadership. What impressed observers and the press was that there was no fanatics, no hysteria, and no objectionable behavior. Only a moving impulse to pray. Little preaching was done. As the people gathered, they were largely silent. And there was a great overarching attitude of glorifying God. Oh, that God would send His church to their knees again. Hear the exhortation of Brownlow North, a man that was used mightily in the Ulster Revival in England. He says this, O Christians, go more to the prayer meetings. None of these great awakenings was ever started without the desperate prayers and pleadings of the church for God to draw near once again. Let me pray real quick. Father, we thank you so much that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That you are God on the throne. That you are the God of provision. The God of change. God, I pray this morning that you would speak change into us. God, I pray that you would challenge us like we haven't been challenged before. To pray, to desire your word. That love each other. God, I pray that you would start another awakening. It's not too late. It's never too late for your spirit to move. God, I pray that we would be drawn to that. It's in your name I pray. Amen. These were all churches when these started with great preachers, common fellowship, and prayer. You could honestly probably add the Billy Graham Crusades into this mix as the same recipe as the rest. You could also add the church that was described in Acts 2 into this. Let's take a look at Acts 2 and verse 40. 
And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. This is Peter saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. There's a recipe there that we see common amongst the great movements of God in our nation. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I don't know about you, but I am ready for God's Spirit to be poured out like it was Back then. I'm ready for the outpouring that we saw in generations past. In a time today where Christianity is often even shrugged at and laughed away, we need God's outpouring of favor on us. No program, no step, no phase, nothing is going to change it except God's favor on us. We can't go win the world to Jesus with a wonderful portfolio. We can't go win the world to Jesus with plenty of options in our churches. It's got to be done with God's favor on us. In this time that holds an economic crisis, international catastrophes happening, and moral chaos, we need the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The mighty and victorious God to show favor on us. But why are we not seeing it? That's a valid question. That's one that we need to wrestle with this morning. Is if God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if He is the God of Acts chapter 2 where His Spirit came down and 3,000 were saved that day, then why are we not seeing such a great outpouring? Of God's Spirit. Why are we not seeing such a great outpouring of God's favor on us? That's the question we must wrestle with today. I've got a few answers that we find in our scriptures, and I want to share them with you. Honestly, it's never been easier to fulfill the great commission that Jesus commanded in Matthew 28. People are hungry, they want truth, they want real, they want us to be real with them. But we're not. I want us to use this Scripture to realize, okay, how must we get God's favor? And how must we do what He's called us to do? The first thing is that we must hear the Word. Hear the Word. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the apostles' teaching. If you look back at the first part of Acts chapter 2, we see something happening in verse 14. Peter starts preaching a message. And guys, this isn't a feel-good, you know, make-you-want-to-jump-and-shout prosperity message either. Peter's not preaching to the people saying, listen, hey, everything's going to be okay. Peter's not tweeting, hey, Jesus died so you could have prosperity. Peter goes back to the Old Testament. 
He uses Scripture to preach His message. He talks to the people from God's Word. He sparked a 3,000 commitment revival out of preaching God's Word. Guys, the Word must be preached from this pulpit, but it also must be preached from those pews as well. We have got to be about the Word of God. This is all you will ever need in this life. It is inherent. It is infallible. It is a life force. It is relevant. It is alive. And it is everything that you will need for this life. But for some reason, we either chalk it up to five minutes a day. We go and buy a little $2 devotional and say, that's good for my Bible reading. Or we get a little tweet from version that says, here's your scripture for today. And we call that knowing the Bible. We call that reading the Bible. And the problem is, is that we walk around as a bunch of Christians who don't know any theology from the next atheist. We have failed miserably in seeking and searching God's Word. There are a few that do. And praise God for you. Praise God that we have people in our church that are committed to the Word of God, committed to reading it, committed to understanding it. But for the vast majority of us, we struggle sometimes. We don't find time for God's Word. We excuse it away. Say, well, I'll get it on Sunday or Wednesday. That's unacceptable anymore. If we are going to see the outpouring of God, if we are going to see His favor upon us, if we are going to see awakenings and revivals like we've seen in the past, we must be about the Word of God. We must be about it. In the third great awakening, one of the reasons I love it so much is that often those meetings, as you read accounts of those meetings, often those meetings were started by some guy sitting about halfway back in a room full of about a thousand people. And he'd stand up and he'd say, the Lord showed me something this morning. Take your Bible and turn it there. It wasn't a preacher sitting up in a pulpit saying, listen, here's what this is interpreted. This is what it means. This is how it is. And just soft serving it to you. No, people went daily to the Word of God to see something, to know something, to find something. And today we're good with a tweet showing us our one little scripture for the day. We've got to be about hearing the Word of God. Second, we must be on the same page. It's good to hear the Word of God. It's good to see the Word of God. It's good to understand and know it. But if you and I do not agree on anything at all, whether it's the Word of God or not, we will not be fruitful in anything God has called us to. Acts chapter 2 Look at verses 44 through 46. Gosh, the churches would be about this at all. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among 
everybody as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I hate, I hate to hear what we call church hurt stories. Because often what happens is it began with something very petty, very insignificant. And we have lost the ability to love one another and be on the same page. I bet every one of you can think of something in your brain right now. Where you've been in church, and somebody said something wrong, or somebody did or did not do something. And immediately, your heart and your mind was not happy. You couldn't find it in yourself to forgive them. I've had it in my life. I've had, it on, I've had it on staff at churches. Guys, church hurt is hard. It's hard. Because people who are supposed to be about the Word of God do not follow the Word of God. And in a moment, they become like flesh. And they treat us how they don't want to be treated. They treat us like we don't even matter. And for some reason, we forget all of the Scriptures that tell us to forgive one another. We forget all of the Scriptures that tell us to even rebuke one another. And we hold on to things. And we hold on to grudges. And what happens is, is that the favor of God and the Spirit of God slowly moves away. I preached a sermon last year about bringing your gift to the altar. And if you have a problem with your brother then you leave it there and you go fix it and you come back. Jesus told us that because we cannot worship Him. We cannot do exactly as He had told us to do if we have something against somebody else. And please hear me right now. Leaving church is not an answer. Going down the road is not an answer. Because what you're going to do is you're going to go down the road and you're going to take all of that spiritual garbage and you're going to unload it on some unsuspecting pastor who's going to try to figure out why in the world all of a sudden his congregation is having problems when you're the only person that's new in the building. Time and time and time again, we have people enter our doors that have been hurt down the road and they're just shopping around trying to figure out who's going to please them, who's going to... Make everything okay. And the reality is, is that within ourselves, we need to be about forgiving others. We need to be about the greater purpose. We need to be about coming together and being on the same page. We've got to quit with this petty fighting in our churches. We will never see a move of God if we cannot even agree on what color the carpet should be. Let alone agree on what Scripture says. Let alone agree on what the Lord would have us to do. Let alone agree on how the Spirit would move in our church. Guys, this is a big one. 
Why would, it, why would a lost world, why, why would a lost world want to come in here and experience all the stuff that they're experiencing out there? Why would someone who has a struggle with their coworker want to come in here and start having a struggle with somebody that they don't even spend a lot of time with? Guys, we've got to be on the same page if we are going to see God move. We've got to be on the same page. Last thing is this. We must pray. Boy, that's simple. But is it? We're good with listening to the Word of God. We can get great preachers in our pulpits that will preach the Word of God, and we can even devote ourselves to 30 minutes a day to read the Word of God. We can do that. You know what? We can even get along. We can even get along. We can do that. But without this last thing, nothing's going to happen. Absolutely nothing is going to happen. Brian Priest's message calling us to pray a few weeks back. This is it. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 this is one of my, fa- I, I don't know why this is my favorite piece of scripture in the New Testament, but I feel like everything that we read after Acts chapter 2 hinges off of this one moment. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayer. If you want to kind of blow your mind on what God can do. Then you turn over a few chapters and you see Pentecost. If you want to see how the Spirit can move, then you realize that in Acts chapter 1, when they devoted themselves to prayer, then Acts chapter 2 comes and all of a sudden the Spirit of God shows up. You've got to put those two together, I believe. We could probably go through about 50 different passages in Scripture that are all devoted only to prayer, that are all devoted only to seeking God's face. But that would be very monotonous. I don't know how many times I've heard a message on prayer in the last few years. seems like it's a hot topic. And I'm not going to bore you with all that can be said about prayer. Because we could probably go through another 15 points on prayer. Somebody said, praise God, he's not going to do that. (laughs) And I'm not talking about showy prayers that you perform in church. I'm not talking about prayers that you pray in Sunday school or with your small group with your Bible study on Sunday or Wednesday night. I'm not talking about those kind of prayers. And I'm not talking about just mentioning it once in a while when you do pray. I would hope, I would hope that your heart is where mine is and that we would want to see God move. But even I come short of praying about it sometimes. 
And when I got to this point, I really, God just kind of shook me on this and said, listen, if you're going to talk as much about the movement of God as you do, if you're going to talk as much about God coming down and doing something that He has never done before, then you probably ought to start praying about it. Because talk is cheap. And guys, I could sit here and throw a million different programs at what I want to happen. I could throw a million different opportunities at what I want to happen for the move of God to happen. But if I am not praying for it to come, if I'm not praying for it to happen, then nothing is going to happen. And for the last, it seems like 10, 15 years, our churches have just sat in this complacency of, you know what? Revival will come. It'll come. It's going to come. You just wait. Another year down the road. You know what? God's, God's going to move this year. I just feel it. I just know God's going to move. We go to conferences and we go to camps and we go to Bible events and we, we, we enjoy our, our video series Bible studies and, and we talk about you know doing something big, about being radical, about uh, discipling about really digging in and and pouring in and investing in others' lives and and one-on-one discipleship. And we pour out all of these things and we try to band-aid and patch all these things without even praying about a single one of them. And we wonder, why will God not move? Guys, we could fill this pulpit with the greatest day, the greatest preachers of our day. We could have the Paul Washers and the Matt Chandlers and the David Platts and the John Pipers. We could have all those guys fill this pulpit. We could have a huge bank account. Plenty of money to do anything and everything we want to do in this church. And we could do those things. Perfect planned programs. But without prayer... All of that will be in vain. And without prayer, none of that will bring harvest. And without prayer, we will not see a move of God. We will not see an outpouring of the Spirit in our church. A church cannot grow without prayer. People cannot come to Jesus without prayer. I want you to look at something. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and ending in 47. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I said daily. Not weekly, not quarterly, not annually, daily adding to them those who were being saved. There is absolutely no reason that that can't be said of any church in any town today. Aside from the fact that we will not do these things, we will not devote ourselves to the Word. We will not get along with one another. And we will not pray. 
guys, I'm ready. I'm, t- I'm tired of watching our churches dwindle down because we don't do what God told us to. I'm tired of living this mediocre life that just revolves around me and what church can do for me. I'm tired of it. It will wear us down. Guys, it's a huge light bulb moment if we'll take care of it. We must be about the Word of God. We must love each other. It's like taking your kids and put them in the get-along shirt. All right? Take a giant t-shirt, take two kids who are fighting and put them in that shirt together. You'll fix it real fast. Or you'll have a split t-shirt, one or the other. Let's get along with one another. I love you. You love me. I hope. Let's get along. So what if you cheer for OU? That's okay. So what if you're a Democrat? That's okay. So what if you like chocolate instead of vanilla? That's okay. I've got a lot to learn from you. You've got a lot to learn from me. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We can do this life together. You don't need to leave. I don't need to leave. We can love each other. We can be the church. Jesus said, they will know you are mine because you have love one for another. Light bulb. Let's quit this petty stuff. Finally, let's pray. He's adding daily those who are being saved. When was the last time that you got on your knees and you sobbed and wept? For a lost person. Hmm. Boy, God hit me right between the eyes with that one this week. Do you understand like how big of a deal that is? You and I, we understood it whenever we came to Jesus because we understood grace. And we knew that from that point forward, we had eternal life in Him. Eternal life is this, that we know God and that we know Jesus. We have eternal life. We have hope. We have life every day abundant. But for some reason, we disconnect our relationship with Jesus when we look at others and we realize, oh, well, they'll be okay. No, that lost child of yours, you ought to be weeping for them daily. You ought to be praying that Jesus delays His coming one last day. So that you can tell them about Jesus. So that they can have an opportunity to come to Jesus. That lost coworker needs to hear you and see you. Say, you know what? I'm praying for you. And you know what? You need to not just say it, but you need to go home and get on your knees and find your place of prayer. And you need to say, God, I'm praying for this person. We must be about prayer in our own life and in the life of this church. These altars... I'm going to challenge you real quick. These altars, in the day and age that we live in, 
in the times that we live in with the people we deal with, these altars should be flooded every time there's an altar call. Every time. It is not okay for us to sit by and let this world die and go to hell. Let our church die in its pews without first coming before the Lord and saying, God, can you change this? Can you do something within us? Can you let a mighty move of the Spirit happen like it has before? But for some reason, we've got this in our heads that, you know what, it's not going to matter. You know what? I'll be all right. I can pray, I can pray here in my pew. That's fine. And guys, that's truly, that's fine. But God is desiring for his people to pray. He's wanting his people to pray. We, we can easily cling to scriptures like Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened to you. But we don't step out from the pew. We won't put our morning newspaper down to pray for the people that we come in contact with. We won't give up 10 or 15 minutes extra in the morning to seek the face of the Lord. Guys, I struggle with it too. Please don't feel like I'm preaching at you. But God is not going to let us go by with the complacency. He'll take us out. If we're just going to sit here idly by, sucking dry the fruits of what God wants to do here, He'll make sure that we have what we want. Guys, if you truly want to see a move of God, if you truly want to see an outpouring of the Spirit like they had back in the old church, Would you join me in praying? And not just on a Sunday, not just at a prayer meeting, but every day. Let's change the tide. Let's make a mark for Christ. Let's do something big that can't be explained other than Him. It's going to start with praying. Seeking God's word and loving each other. Let's pray. Father God, you're good to us. Even though we don't deserve it. You're so good to us. You're good to your church, even though often we don't deserve it as a church, but you're so good to us. God, we repent right now. God, we repent for our complacency. We repent for our unwillingness to do what you've called us to do. We repent that we have forgotten who you are. 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The mighty and victorious one. God, I pray that you would hear our prayers. And that they would be real prayers. Not false, showy, or fake. That they would be prayers that are asking and begging you to do something. Challenge us today with that. God, may we spark something that can only be explained by you. We're begging for your spirit to come down like it hasn't before. We're begging you to move like you haven't before. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you go ahead and stand with me? Continuing in prayer, every head bowed, every eye closed. None of this is going to make sense if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And luckily for you, we offer an opportunity at that. If you know that you don't have Jesus living in your heart, if you know that you do not have a relationship with Him, then you can step out this morning. You can come forward. We can help you. We can talk with you about that. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Church, do you want an outpouring of God's Spirit? It's not going to happen until we ask for it. It's not going to happen until we pray. It's not going to happen until we love each other. It's not going to happen until we're willing to get in God's Word. What do you need to do today? Do you need to come find a place at this altar and pour out to God? Maybe. Do you need to kneel right there where you're at or sit down right where you're at and go ahead and take a moment to spend with Jesus? Asking Him to reignite something in you? Go ahead. Guys, we want God to be glorified and Jesus to be preached and others to come to Him. We need to be praying for those things. Take a few moments now and pray. If you need to come forward, come forward.